This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, Jimmy, out along with Bruce Marshall of CBS Sports Line, VegasInsider.com, Charles Hanegraaff of 1045 ESPN. Baton Rouge in Louisiana and SEC country. And Charlie and I have been to SEC Media Days for many, many years, dating back to the 90s. Bruce, you were back from a new setting for the SEC Media Days in Nashville, Tennessee, which I think most people kind of give their thumbs up. But uh, your takeaways from uh, the SEC Media Days in Nashville. Yeah, very much thumbs up. The one problem at the Grand Hyatt, uh, right off of Broadway there, they're redoing the viaduct there in, in Nashville. So a lot of construction around there. So we had trouble just getting in. But once you're there, uh, you're up, up uh, you know, from the river on Broadway. And every, every event they had, uh, though we had some rain on Tuesday night, it was first class all the way. They had us at Bridgestone Arena. Uh, for the, the Predators had a thing on a Monday night, like a reception. Very, very nice. And the facility was really nice at the Grand Hyatt. So I'm I'm totally up on Nashville. I uh, hope they come back there. Next year, though, uh, SEC is going to Dallas. So they're not wasting any time with their invasion and takeover of the Lone Star State. They will be in Dallas next year for SEC Media Days. Uh, better than Atlanta. I still, something about Hoover is really nice, though. I always like uh I like the Hoover locale there, but um, Nashville, thumbs up for me in a great city and a perfect spot for one of these sorts of things, except next time, have it at a hotel where they're not tearing up the street outside. That would help. All right, so Georgia backs up uh, their first national championship since 1980 with another one. Uh, escaped uh, a game that they could have been had. Uh, again, the semifinal against Ohio State, and then absolutely obliterate an undermanned uh, TCU team. And that's, uh, Charlie, the story. One of my storylines is that Georgia has <clears throat> has taken over as the best roster in the league. They've taken over from Alabama. LSU had a stretch uh, there for a while as well, certainly in 19 and also in the uh, the Saban Miles era, but still, Georgia looks like the number one roster, and they're producing pros at an alarming rate right now as well. You know, and one of the things that caught my attention when we did the the all conference teams, Florida out of the first, second, and third team offense and defense, we're talking about the top sixty six players in the league. Florida had three. And that is just so far and away below what you expect the talent level at Florida to be. Tennessee is upgraded, but they are not what I think, uh, you know, some of those Florida and Georgia teams have been from a talent standpoint. So before you even get to the schedule of the coach, the talent level between Georgia and the rest of the SEC East is just such a massive gulf that you can't help but pick them to be the overwhelming favorite. Yeah, there's no doubt. That's the one that catches me, Bruce. I'm not sure how long we've been doing college win totals, um, but still, they're still relatively new. We haven't seen one this low 
uh, for Florida. We're talking about five and a half, okay? I mean, we're talking about some some SEC historians and kind of trying to put our brains together, and we think that this is the weakest roster. This is believed to be the weakest roster in Gainesville since the early to mid-'70s, okay? Certainly before Spurrier uh, got in there. But, um, and I mean, that is just – it's amazing when, and this is the state of the high school. The high school football in Florida produces more NFL talent than any other state, even more populated states like Texas and California. And so that to be the only SEC program in that state, there's absolutely no excuses for this. But they're playing catch up on some of the facilities as well because Barrier, he didn't need all that, you know, to win uh, at the highest level. But Florida, and we look at Tennessee. Okay, Tennessee had a great year last year. Uh, you know, 11 wins. But that's the first time they went double-digit wins since 2007, and they needed a bowl victory to get that 10th win back then. So are they regular, you know, are they going to be winning 9 and 10 games every year in Knoxville right now? But the separation, Charlie's right, has never been bigger, especially in the East, which has been it, the, been the, the, the lower division of these two divisions for the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, I agree, uh, uh, Jimmy, and Charlie's right, too. I mean, we haven't seen Florida dip down like this for a while. I'd say probably that first year Charlie Pell was there. They were 0-10-1, I think. But they bounced back real quick. They were a bowl team the next yep. year. Um, so uh, it can happen quickly there. But nowadays, I mean, the competition, the SEC, in, in, in the, it's it's tougher. Though in the East, it is Florida and, and everybody else, I uh, Georgia and everybody else. Um, and I think we mentioned this on the radio with uh, Charlie last week. I Some of this blame, I think, has to go to Dan Mullen at uh, Florida. And, uh, you know, the, the recruiting we had heard, you know, he didn't really like recruiting all that much. And I think we have seen that borne out here. The roster, just not the depth. Charlie mentioned that. When's the last time we've seen only three Florida guys in the first three teams, all SEC? I mean, this is a low point for them talent-wise. It's going to take Billy Napier a little while to get this thing back up to speed. And uh, he's in the port. You can do that quicker in the portal. But I sort of like the way Napier's going about it carefully here. But it, it's not happening yet. And I think that's the big difference in, in the SEC overall is over the last generation, Florida has usually been a solid contender. That's not necessarily the case now. Maybe Tennessee is the one that's going to challenge Georgia. But I think you're right. And especially about Georgia being head and shoulders above everybody else, obviously back-to-back national titles. One other thing about Georgia, too, and we might get into this more later, that schedule this year is very, very forgiving. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is why, uh, you know, 11 and a half wins. I mean, they, they could clear that. And really, it, for them, it comes down, I think, that game against Tennessee, in the, which is late in the season. Uh, that looks like the only one where they might be challenged this year. And the last two years, Tennessee hasn't been much of a challenge to them. So Georgia, clear favorite again. Yeah, uh, the, the league uh, frowned upon uh, Oklahoma playing uh, Georgia just in a one-way series before they entered the league round. <clears throat> yeah, pr- please try and uh, prevent any decent non-conference matchups that we have in college football like we're just full, full of them. Uh, but, Charlie, also Alabama um, – all right, some kicks in the armor, but are there? I mean, so Saban gets upset. He gets his boosters rolling, tries to fire him up, needs more NIL money. What's that do? Uh, after A&M got the number one class, he gets the number one class uh, in, uh, in, in, in recruiting. But then again, that roster, was not, that was not a typical Alabama roster. Imagine uh, Bryce Young. I mean, 
Bryce Young didn't have guys like Rugg, Smith, and Waddle and Najee Harris as weapons. I mean, and, and where would they be if they didn't get uh, Gibbs from Georgia Tech as far as the explosive elements of last year's roster? So the recruiting class is coming, but how much are they going to be able to help uh, this year? So um, Alabama, mixed emotions we're getting out of Tuscaloosa right now, but uh, some that, that's showing that they're human as a, as a program, Charlie. Human means that they'll win 10 games falling out of bed and, you know, have two uh, or maybe three that are, are competitive. Jimmy, I think this largely stems from their uncertainty at quarterback. After they go through spring practice, Saban looked around and said, no, we've got to add a, another quarterback because we don't necessarily feel comfortable at the position. And so whether it be Milrow or Simpson not being ready, but you know they they took a shot uh, at, at a couple of the higher profile guys in the the transfer portal and came up short. Uh, Sam Hartman went to Notre Dame. Uh, they they took a swing at Garrett Nussmeyer at LSU, and and he decided to stay put, albeit in a backup role. I think if they can figure out the quarterback thing, and it may not be in week one. Uh, Jalen Hurts' his first year as a starter, he did not start the opener. Uh, it may be into the season a little bit. I think eventually, by the time they get to November, it will be Ty Simpson because I think he's the most talented of the three. In the meantime, they've got to figure that out. Now, I think the rest of the roster is still upper echelon. I think it's still uh, a top five or six roster in the country from a not, everything but the quarterback. I, I think that they are they're good. They may not be... The, the best of the best, the way they were when they had all those first-round wide receivers. But I still think it's a top-five, top-six roster in the country. I mean, Alabama just showed you that Saban, he, I mean, he's got more to offer as far as NIL budget and things like that. Notre Dame gets Sam Hartman. Kentucky gets Devin Leary. And they get Tyler Buckner uh, out, of, uh, out of Notre Dame. You know, what? Uh, that, that was just a slip. Uh, somebody's getting their ass chewed by Saban. He's not taking the blame for it. So we know that. So, I mean, whoever was in charge of, you know, the, the uh, transfer uh, uh, quarterback evaluations, he's getting, uh, he's getting his butt chewed. Uh, Bruce, another one, uh, topic of conversation is the $100 million man from College Station, Texas. He is one of the few coaches that, um, that has a, you know, active coaches that has a national title, but Jimbo Fisher in everything that they afforded. We talk about resources and budget. Uh, it's nobody has given their coach more than what Texas A&M has given Jimbo Fisher. Uh, the the NIL-oriented signing class, well, they have another year under their belt. There's some misses in there. So there's some transfers in there. But there's some guys with another year of eligibility. It reminds me just a little bit of how Ed Ogeron recruited at Ole Miss, but they were just they were thrown in there way too early. That's a tough lead to do so. But A&M in their total, Bruce, is at seven and a half. And so, uh, boy, I know the Aggie faithful are looking for more than seven and a half wins, but they do return 20 starters five and seven year ago. Quarterback Connor Wegman, um, I mean, limited action, but eight TDs, no interceptions. He looks the part as well. They've been looking for a quarterback for some for quite some time. You're looking at this seven and a half. It's caught your attention at Bet Rivers. Yeah, and I, I don't like it. I think it's an under. And, uh, you know, Jimbo is a typical performance in Nashville last week. No coach uh, says more words, yet says uh, so little as uh, as Jimbo. He's like an auctioneer there, the way he's going. He's mile a minute, but he's really not saying anything. 
Um, I think we have to go back here and, and, and look at, at, at Jimbo here and, and wonder if he's really going to get the Aggies to the promised land. I have always said from the start that this really reminded me a lot. AM's done this before, Jackie Sherrill back in the early 80s. And I, I maintain that sort of started the big money era in college football. They stole them from Pitt coming up there with all the, uh, the trumpets and horns and... Um, uh, he got him to a certain level there, but not over the hump like they thought, and uh, then that thing ended. And at this point, I'm not sure Jimbo's done as much as Jackie Sherrill did. Uh, his first couple teams, especially, and those are mostly inherited guys, Kellen Mond at quarterback, uh, the team in the COVID year, got into the Orange Bowl and beat North Carolina. But they've slipped some since then. And I maintain with Jimbo, too, back to Florida State. I know he's got that national title, the Jameis Winston year. Uh, but uh, by the end there, that wasn't going well. This downturn for Florida State started when Jimbo was there. His last year was not good. I mean, they, they were headed to maybe not making a bowl game, and then he left for Texas A&M before the season was over. Um, it's not, uh, you know, uh, it's taken Mike Norvell a couple of years to put that back together. I just got some questions about Jimbo. The, the big question here, and the question a lot of us had in – uh, Nashville last week. Uh, we, we, this defense is good. DJ Durkin, top-notch coordinator, brought him in from Ole Miss. The defense is going to be fine. All those guys they've got back there. Uh, but the returning starters, I'm not sure what it means on uh, offense that, uh, as much. Wigman uh, still needs to convince a little bit more at uh, quarterback. It just wasn't working there last year. And bringing in Bobby Petrino as the uh, supposed play caller, this is fraught with, uh, this looks like a combustible situation to me. I mean, Jimbo looks like a nervous enough sort of guy. Uh, Petrino, we know his uh, track record, although I'm not going to say he couldn't come in there and make an impact early. He's generally made an impact, but that's as a head coach early. Uh, he had been hired by Barry Odom's new staff at UNLV. Uh Jimbo is sort of a late decision to bring Petrino. Then he stole him out of UNLV, so then he comes in a little bit late to Texas A&M. Ostensibly as the play caller. Let's see if Jimbo can take his hand off the wheel, because in the past, I mean, that's been that's been right up his alley. That's what he wants to do. Is he really going to surrender the play calling to Petrino? That's supposedly the plan, though, uh, among the many words that Jimbo said last week, he sort of didn't quite say that. Uh, but I think this is a, a, a potential uh, situation that could blow up at, uh, at College Station. Uh, it just looks like two pretty strong-willed guys. Uh, we'll see how this works out. I'm not convinced. I think I, I think this thing uh, offensively has just gotten worse and worse the last couple of years for Jimbo. Even with the guys back, I'm not sure Petrino's the answer, and that looks like a terribly uh, combustible situation to me. It's an under for me at College Station right now. All right, and Charlie, this is you know this is two guys in their career forever that has has called the plays, and there's really no. You know, no confusion, no no lack of clarity about it. So you got a Petrino who's called to plays forever. Jimbo, everybody knows he's called to plays forever. Now they coexist. He knows he's going to get the question, and he acts like he was completely blindsided by the question and left us with, uh, I mean, a, more of a foggy picture. Yeah, uh, it, it reminds me a great deal of, of, of Les Miles here at, at LSU, uh, or Mike McCarthy with, with the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who's calling the plays. And when you call plays your entire life, uh, you know, I think Jimbo let go of that plate cheat when they pried from his cold, dead fingers. 
I think he'll end up doing probably what Miles ended up doing at LSU, which was he didn't call the actual plays on game day. But he restricted his offensive coordinators in such a way that he influenced the offensive play calling to a large degree, uh, whether it be personnel groupings or play groupings for down and distance or just signing off on the game plan on a Thursday afternoon. Yeah, Petrino will actually be calling the plays uh, on Saturdays, I, I believe, to start the season. But he'll be doing so with such a, a heavy-handed influence from Jimbo that I don't know he'll ever feel comfortable with that. That being said, if you're going to pick somebody outside of LSU, Alabama, and Georgia to win the SEC, if you're looking for a price, A&M's probably got enough talent to do it if they can figure out schematically in time what they're doing. This is a very good offensive line. If Wegman is as good as they say he is, that they think he can be, this team can be trouble. But I agree with Bruce. The the probability is so much more great on the other side, that it will go the other way. But from a straight 1-85 to 85 talent standpoint, they're not bad. But I don't know if Jimbo is going to take his, take his hand off the throttle. All right, uh, let's stay in the SEC West because uh, that's, Charlie, you get to your first pick and uh, and look at uh, the LSU Tigers. Uh, they'll be favored in 11 of their 12 games. Uh, this game opened up nearly a pick maybe even a, a slight favorite. It's been bet to LSU minus three in the opener in Orlando. A return trip on the neutral site games, neutral site in Louisiana, neutral site in Florida. They split the uh, tickets 50-50, and that's what uh, showed up in the Superdome last year. Expect the same 50-50 on the crowd in Orlando. Much smaller venue there. Year two for Brian Kelly. Uh, and, and my biggest thing is I just this is not the same level roster of the Miles era, certainly the 2019 Ogeron team. But this guy, he gets a lot more out of his roster as well. No doubt this roster will be better than it was last year. Preseason All-SEC quarterback in Jaden Daniels is the big one as they try and take that next step. But, Charlie, if you like over nine and a half at LSU, you got to like them in that first game against Florida State as well. Not necessarily, Jimmy, I, I, and I'll tell you why. I, I think that game is a complete toss-up. I think it could go either way. And I think they'll probably end up losing in Tuscaloosa because I think it's a difficult deal to beat Saban twice in a row and to do it on their home field. When you look back over the, the last 30 years of LSU, their most successful seasons, yeah, the Alabama game has been the big turning point, but it's also been how they did against Florida and Auburn. The permanent opponent out of the East, Florida, and Auburn, who has been on their schedule every year since they went to divisional play in 92. When they have beaten both of those teams, they have usually had a banner season. It hadn't been many. Um, and they catch, I would say, of the Florida-Auburn pairing, the weakest combination of Florida-Auburn that they've ever had since yeah. the team went to divisional play in 1992. So let's say they did lose to Florida State and they did lose to Alabama. I think they're going to be a, a better than a touchdown favorite everywhere. Maybe a little under a touchdown against at Ole Miss. But they're a significant favorite to win the other games. I don't see a lot of coin flips in there because Florida and Auburn are just not as good. And then we get to Jaden Daniels, and, and I, I got some prop bets that I like on him. Uh, you get to that offensive line that started two freshman tackles a year ago and is a, a lot, it was, got better as the season went on and is going to be a lot better this year. 
Uh, you get a playmaker back in Mason Smith on the defensive line who's projected to be a first-round pick. He missed virtually all of last year. And they imported a ton of experienced uh, players at cornerback, which was going to be their most vulnerable position. They're good at specialists. I think that this is a very, very good team with a very advantageous schedule. And nine and a half, if it had been 10, I'd have had to waffle a little bit. But nine and a half is a sweet spot for me because I think they could lose to Florida State and Alabama and still hit this total. All right, uh, let's get to those uh, individual props. And uh, we're, we're talking about Jaden Daniels and Brian Kelly talking about he is letting the ball go. And he's in about half the games, he would one look, tuck it, and run. The other games, if he got off to a good start, he was more committed to being, you know, to the pocket and to the rhythmic aspect of the passing game, trying to take that step. And Kelly is telling us he's done it again in. You know, when you have a non-contact jersey on, whether it's a spring and scrimmages and things like that. But that's what you're looking at. You're looking at uh, over in both passing areas, touchdowns and interceptions. You like over 18 and a half touchdowns and over three and a half interceptions for Jaden Daniels. Jimmy, last year I thought that the turning point for Jaden Daniels was the Tennessee game, which was a lopsided loss for LSU, but he really threw the ball well. It got lost because LSU got blown out. There's some special teams gaps, but he really threw the ball well there, and from that point forward, they started to take the, the, the blinders off a little bit. Um, his first five games they averaged 27 passes per game. They were also sorting out some real problems with the offensive line. They changed centers after the first game. They changed right tackles after the second game. And it really wasn't until about midseason that they got real comfortable on that offensive line. So you take the first five games, he averaged 27 attempts a game. The last seven games, he averaged 31. And if you throw out the game at Arkansas, which was a very blustery, windy day up in Fayetteville, that number goes all the way to 34 attempts a game. So basically we're talking about, I think, probably a, a reasonable thing would be somewhere around seven more attempts per game for Jaden Daniels. A year ago, he had 15 touchdowns in the regular season, so you're asking him to go slightly above that. He had two interceptions in the regular season. You're asking him to go slightly above that. I think LSU is going to throw the ball a lot more early in the season than they did a year ago, and I expect both of those totals to go over. All right, Bruce, are you looking at you in on a Jaden Daniels love as well? I mean, he's a, a short price for the Heisman at 11-1 to 1 with co-second choice at Bet Rivers, but you like his chances. I do. I mean, I think him, and I saw this at Arizona State with him, and he was a little bit more Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde there, because the good Jaden Daniels we didn't see all the time, and the Mr. Hyde part we saw more so at ASU. Last year, we saw a little bit less of the bad Daniels, and the magic of Daniels we saw a lot more, especially that Alabama game. That's the good Jaden Daniels. It looked like, I mean, he could do nothing wrong late in that game, and that in the overtime, I mean, that was he was going to win the game. He's that good. He's getting better coaching now. And I, I think, you know, he's just magical. The schedule sets up where he's going to have enough games and enough high-profile games if he performs well. And I think we will know early. I mean, if it doesn't work in the opener against Florida State and LSU loses, um, that might hurt his candidacy. But he's got a chance to get off on a good foot right off the bat. If they can win that game in Orlando, they've got a chance. Uh, I mean, Daniels has a chance to go front and center. I think he's magical. 
when uh, he's at his best, and we saw a lot more of the good Daniels last year than we saw at Arizona State. More coaching. I think uh, he's got a chance. I think that's not a bad price on the Heisman for him. Yeah, putting a cap on the uh, LSU conversation is real simple. I mean, LSU's going to be favoring 11 of 12. Brian Kelly, look at his track record when he is the favorite. I mean, at Notre Dame, what, 45 and counting, you know, uh, on the way out of uh, South Bend. And uh, and also, he is taking some some average, mediocre type of quarterbacks and made them look good. This guy's got a lot more ability uh, then, you know, and the ceiling is up there. So I think, you know, he's he's letting his coach his coach, but he's got his hands on that uh, quarterback development as well. Let's stay in the SEC West. We'll go to Mississippi State. Well, uh, tragic passing of uh, Mike Leach. And uh, in SEC country, we were a bit skeptical of how this Leach air raid offense and its lack of physicality, especially on the defensive side, was going to play. It's played out better than we expected. They won nine games last year. So they pr- promote from within. And, Bruce, you tell us, but it seemed like a common theme for Mississippi State is we're going we're gonna to try and evolve away from the air raid a little bit. And Zach Arnett's going to try and do his own thing. Young, young coach. He looks young. He is young, 36 years old. So some transition, not so much with the roster, but certainly – Mike Leach is gone, and there was no confusion who's calling the plays when, when he was running the show. Yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, he was he was obviously – his fingerprints were all over Mississippi State the last couple of years. Though I would point out, um, the last few years, their defense has been good, uh, good enough, and those have been Arnett's defenses, and that was one of the first hires that uh, Leach made when he came to Starkville. Arnett is a rocky, long guy. He worked with him at New Mexico. He played under him. Uh, he worked with him at San Diego State. And from what we hear, Rocky, who is now at Syracuse, by the way, um, uh, he's tutored several coaches, Bronco Mendenhall among them, and he thinks Arnett is going to be a winner. Um, Very impressive. So the the defensive side of things, we talk about Mississippi State and the offense, it's the defensive side that has been pretty good, and I think it will stay good uh, for Arnett uh, this year. But it is the offense there. And, you know, Will Rogers, I don't think he's going to put numbers up like he did the last few years under the real air raid. They're trying to balance things out a little bit more, uh, which is probably good because Mississippi State was always at the bottom of the national rushing stats. We know that was a a leech factor there. So they'll balance things out a bit more. There's one addition that they made in the portal, and we'll get around to talking about him a little bit more later too, but I think it's very important. I asked Arnett about this at Nashville last week. Tell us about Mike Wright. I think this is the portal steal of the season, of the offseason, the SEC. And he looked like a cat that swallowed the canary. He goes, yeah, uh, first of all, there weren't many guys in the portal who played quarterback with uh, wins in the SEC under their belt. Or second, as fast as this guy. Uh, He was the difference for Vanderbilt in several games. We'll get to Vanderbilt more in a minute. But he can do so much, not necessarily a quarterback either. I mean, he might have a future in the NFL at the slot as a running back, as a slash sort of player. Uh, he is a big play machine. He allows the offense to change things up a bit more, so it's not going to have to be just Rodgers throwing the ball over the field. You've got, you really have two quarterbacks who's going to use this year with a totally different skill set. This is going to make it much different for, much more difficult for opposing defenses to contain Mississippi State this year because of Wright. And I think Arnett will use him pretty well. I think he knows what he's doing. This is my gut feeling. Again, we've talked about coordinators getting the top job, and we're never quite sure. And I'm a little bit skeptical, reluctant always to think a guy's going to be a home run hire. But I'm going to take a leap of faith here and think Arnett's going to be fine. 
at least in the short term here, that uh, there's enough talent there and the defense is going to be fine uh, to get above six and a half and get to a bowl. They responded for him last year. We know that was a very emotional situation in the bowl game against Illinois, but they sure did rally for him in that game. Uh, and I think they can get back to a bowl this year and clear six and a half as well. Uh, should be 4-0 non-conference. And uh, yeah. so their toughest will be uh, Arizona in, at home. Should They should take care of that. Uh, without a whole lot of uh, resistance there. They dodge Georgia and Tennessee in the East. They'll have yep. South Carolina and Kentucky uh, in the East. So the the schedule is certainly manageable uh, for Zach Arnett as far as here's the thing, though, on the, uh, on, the on the con side. What, what, what major jobs was Zach Arnett a, a, a legitimate candidate for? So, you know, if it's – and I understand they're trying to maintain some continuity within the staff. It was – you know, who, who was predicting the Mississippi State administration did not know they were going to be looking to make a coaching hire uh, at any time. So it blindsided them, obviously, uh, with the tragic passing of Mike Leach. But, uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I'm a little bit uh, a little bit curious how this is all going to play out for Will Rogers' numbers, who I think are very high right now. And uh, at uh, Bet Rivers, Bet Rivers does have passing numbers and rushing numbers on the SEC individual players as well. So I think they're going to dial it back down a little bit, uh, st- you know, stylistically uh, for Mississippi State. All right, Charlie, let's uh, go to the SEC East right now. We talked about it a lot. Well, with all the scheduling in the SEC and you know, adding adding teams, you got to redo the scheduling and this and that. So, well, you know, you, one plan was well the the High resource, high expectation programs, high budget programs. Well, they'll play here, and then they'll play two and one, two big boys and one from the lower expectation resource budget teams. And then there's Tennessee. Where the hell you put them? So they've performed so poorly for so long, but then they've got the budget. They've got resources, and then all of a sudden, they really throw a monkey wrench into Nick Saban's plans, and they win. And they win double-digit games, including beating them, including routing Clemson uh, in the uh, in their bowl game. And so, first time double-digit win since 2007. We talked about that 2007. They needed the bowl game for their tenth win. They were nine and three when they lost to LSU in the SEC championship game in Atlanta. But the whole thing with Tennessee. And so, is it hypo with this system? Is it Hooker that will be missed? So, how about this one for you too, Charlie? What do you think the over/under on Milton's passing yards are for the year and TDs and interceptions? Because they're out right now at uh, Bet Rivers, and so uh, without think? looking, I, I would say Milton uh, probably somewhere around uh, 37, 3,800 yards. Thirty-one hundred. Thirty-one hundred. You think he's going to throw for? Right. You think he's going to throw for that much, huh? No, I don't. Uh, I, you were okay. asking me about the total. Uh, <laughs> I, I was saying that because of the pace offensively of what they do, that, that there's going to be some inflated numbers there. Um, I, I I know that a lot is expected of Joe Milton. I loved Hendon Hooker last year. I, I I thought he was a tremendously you know polished quarterback because of the fact that he was able to do something that's rare in a college game, which was get a high yards per attempt with a low interception percentage. And I don't feel that way. And he was a very accurate quarterback as well. I don't feel that way about Milton. Milton is more physically gifted. He's got as much arm as anybody maybe since Jamarcus Russell in the conference. But he's not accurate. 
the bowl game aside, uh, the two games he played at the end of the season, the, the rest of the South Carolina game, the Vanderbilt game, and all of the games that he played in 2021, he's about a 50% passer. I'm going to, if he proves me wrong, I'll tip my cap to the young man, but he strikes me as a guy who's got a lot of zip on the fastball, but struggles with his control. I think that that completion percentage, even if it increases dramatically, is still going to be somewhere in the mid to high 50s. And so I, I don't think that the numbers will match what Hendon Hooker did a year ago. He is no hooker, but he is going to be better under Josh Heupel's system in limited play. He's got 12 TDs and no interceptions uh, under uh, Heupel. So he is – we've seen – we saw him at Michigan. I know he can mature as well, you know, in the state of Tennessee. But it's much more of a quarterback-friendly system. But, no, I agree with you. When you said he's, he's – he's, you know, he's, he only throws one pitch to me, and that's his fastball. He struggles with accuracy and touch, and, and no doubt about it, which Hooker got. Hooker threw 27 more interceptions in two – I mean, I'm sorry, 27 more picks with only two interceptions. That's along with his before he got hurt. No, he's, he's, he's phenomenal, and he makes thro made throws in tight windows as well. Be interesting uh, to watch this whole meal. Just be interesting to watch Tennessee. But Charlie, you looking at that uh, that win total uh, for Tennessee, and it's at nine, and uh, and it's caught your attention. I I think they lose at Alabama. I, I don't think you beat Saban two years in a row, and I don't think you go to Tuscaloosa to do it. I don't think LSU wins there either, and I don't think they beat Georgia. So that that leaves me with one more game to lose for a push: A and M, South Carolina, at Kentucky. Even at Mizzou, who gave Georgia fits uh, in Columbia a year ago, um, all of those games are potentially somewhere where they could slip up. I, I don't think that they'll necessarily be underdogs, but they won't be overwhelming favorites uh, either in those games. Remember last year, even with Hendon Hooker, they, they won very close games against Pitt and Florida, who were good but no, by no means were, you know world beaters. In, in the case of Florida, was you know was kind of bad. Um, right. So with with that, I think that gives me enough leeway. I'm penciling in two losses for sure. I got five other shots, I think, to give them one or two more losses. And with Milton, uh, I just I don't think he's as good as Hendon Hooker. I'm not ready to claim that Tennessee is back yet. This this reminds me of a little, what was the year Texas won the, the the Sugar Bowl, and you know Texas is back. Texas is back. Right. And, you know, Texas was back that year. And, you know, I think Tennessee comes back to the pack just a little bit this year. I think I'm, I think I got a push for sure. And I think I'm, I'm playing with house money for, for under nine wins. Yeah. Uh, four banana peels there um, at, at the swamp, uh, at Commonwealth stadium in Lexington, Kentucky and at Missouri. Um, and I know Bruce, you want to talk about Missouri. We'll do that in one second. And then A&M's at home. And so we'll see if they can be competitive, but no, I'm with, they're not beating Georgia and Alabama. I'll, I'll be I'll be surprised um, if they couldn't, you know. And, but and with that being said, that is Georgia's toughest game by far is in Neyland Stadium, the second to last week of the season too, which is an odd part of the schedule uh, for Tennessee and Georgia traditionally. But the Missouri game is not a joke, Bruce, and that's the one that's caught your attention in the East. That win total at Bet Rivers is six and a half. Uh, plus 115, they returned. They had a much improved defense last year, and they returned just about everybody from that much improved defense a year ago. And Drinkowitz has got his best roster in his fourth year in Columbia. 
Yeah, he does. And I'm a big Drinkwitz fan. And I know the records have been sort of middling thus far there, but uh, they gave him a, a nice contract extension. That's a new AD. Uh, Desiree Reed-Francois came in from UNLV, and she gave him a nice extension there. So he's okay with the AD now. Uh, and his staff has done well. I think Drinkwitz is really, really a smart coach. He did very well that year at App State. He came in. This is not the easiest situation into a tough new conference there, and, and Missouri kind of way out there, away from the mainstream in the SEC. Uh, his first year, back in, back to 2020, that year, they played a game against Kentucky right after Kentucky beat Tennessee. And this was in the pandemic year, where they Kentucky had a lot of ball hawks in the secondary that year, and they really uh, blew out Tennessee the week before, and Garantano was the quarterback. That's when Pruitt was still at Tennessee. Pick sixes left and right. Uh, Drinkwitz, the next game, put in a game plan that completely uh, nullified uh, uh, Kentucky's defensive backs from making plays like that. I mean, everything was short, ding, 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 ding. Fine, that's not the way Missouri usually played, but it was good enough they kept Kentucky from making the big plays on defense that the Wildcats needed to win the game. And Drinkwitz won. Now he hasn't had the, uh, the he hasn't had the material to do that on a consistent basis yet. But I think they're getting closer. And last year that Georgia game, they had Georgia on the ropes. He threw a real monkey wrench at at uh, at Kirby Smart, nullified some of the things Georgia defense is normally able to do. This guy is very smart, and I think. Missouri has a chance to cause a little bit of trouble this year. I like his coordinators. Blake Baker, at defense. You mentioned that defense. It was very good last year. He's got most of the guys back on that side of the ball. So I think they're very representative there. They brought in Kirby Moore from Boise State to be the coordinator. And here's another. Now, we talked about Jimbo a minute ago with, with uh, Petrino down in College Station. Uh, Eli has been sort of the play caller there, too. But he has, he, he has said, I'm going to let Kirby Moore do this this year. I'm going to step back a little bit more and be the CEO. I'll be involved in the game planning. So I I would think Eli would be a little bit easier guy to work for and make this work than it would be with Jimbo. Also, Brady Cook, his quarterback, last year, he was playing with a short, uh, sore shoulder much of the year, and that impacted him somewhat. Uh, they say he's feeling much better now. The shoulder is better. Uh, they brought in a transfer from Miami, too, but they think Cook is going to be the guy to lead them up, and Schrader's a pretty tough running back. Um, I think they've got enough to get over six wins this year. I like Drinkwitz a, a lot. We haven't seen that sort of a breakthrough yet at Mizzou, but seven or eight is definitely possible. Uh, by the way, they do play a game in St. Louis mm -hmm. against Memphis, and uh, he said this is something they want to do, and they, they, they want, since the Rams left St. Louis, they want to really put their footprint there. They do some recruiting out of there, so that's kind of a big thing, and a lot of people, Mizzou fans in the St. Louis area are happy at least for one game. They don't have to drive to Columbia, so I think that's a net positive for the program to play one game there and they're kind of jazzed about that this is an over for me i like drink what's a lot 6.5 is one they can clear or over six and a half is plus money plus 115 right now at bet rivers and i think the key game in that initial start is september 16th at home they get kansas state. state so at home against kansas state they'll be probably less than a field goal favorite or underdog i think maybe favorite um that's just kind of my thoughts but that might be the one hurdle to host lsu in october at five and oh so well, they it, it will and that's the game they got blown out in manhattan last year they lost that yes. game big so it'll be sort of a revenge game so i think you're right that is a big game for them they get them at home this year though and uh, that harkens back to old uh, big eight days when those teams used to play there you go uh, old big eight days one more charlie let's go back to the west but let's go back to a familiar face 
yes, unceremonious, uh, out, you know, departure from the SEC. And who can remember uh, some of the quotes uh, from uh, Hugh Freeze when they uh, they dropped the, uh, the 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 lawsuit on him at media days and everything? You know, an old uh, an old an old saying, huh? You wanna you wanna coach the lie? Put a, a microphone in front of his face. But Hugh Freeze can coach. And with all of the mess that he had for them to bring him back in the league, um, tells you that he could coach. So Hugh Freeze is back in uh, in this time on the Plains. So Tommy Tuberville go from Ole Miss to uh, Auburn directly, but this time it'll be a little a little detour stop where he did win at Liberty and now he's back in the league. Charlie total is at six and a half. And it, I, I hate this because it's so heavily juiced, but. I got to go over on for two reasons on Auburn. Hugh Freeze is one of them. Hugh Freeze had four head coaching jobs prior to this one: Lambeth, Arkansas State, Ole Miss, and Liberty. At Lambeth, they went from three and eight the year before he got there to eight and four the year after. At Arkansas State, they went from four and eight to ten and three. At Ole Miss, they went from two and ten to seven six and six, six. and zero oh and eight in the league seven to three and five in the league. And at Liberty, they went from six and six to eight and five. That's an average gain in year one for Hugh Freeze of four and a half games, over four jobs, including one in the SEC. They've only got to get better by two for me to cash this ticket. They won as bad as they were last year, and as big of a mess as Harson was in, they still won five games. So Hugh Freeze, I think, will improve the quarterback situation. I think he's got a an interesting talent in Robbie Ashford that I think he can get a lot out of, and he's got a nice insurance policy uh, in pain if that doesn't work out. The other thing is the non-conference schedule. A year ago, they got routed by Penn State. I mean, they got absolutely stomped. But their four non-conference games this year are UMass, who was 1-11 last year, Cal, who was 4-8, and eight, Samford, who's an FCS school, and New Mexico State, who was a, a respectable 7-6, and six, but uh, so I don't really, certainly expect to win at Jordan-Hare. So you should get those four. One of your non-division games is at Vanderbilt. You should be a favorite there. That leaves me, you know, with two games to get. They're not going to beat Georgia. They're not going to beat Alabama. They're not going to win in Baton Rouge. But they could beat Mississippi State. They could beat Arkansas. They could beat Texas A&M. I'm counting a lot on Hugh Freeze, who I like a lot as a coach and not at all as a guy, uh, to improve this team just a little bit because he's always done that. Uh, it's a very long track record that he has in year one. So that's what I'm banking on, plus the non-conference schedule. He can coach and coach in this league, and he could coach in this league with inferior resources that he showed. Keep in mind, he's an old miss, and he, you know, and he didn't take over a good situation. Beat Saban back to back years. So I mean, he's uh, he, he's he's done it. So uh, if Auburn could just. Give him the resources, give him the budget, and kind of stay out of his way. I mean, you know, I mean, the Auburn, the Nick Saban, I mean, poor Auburn. It's it's impossible for them with who where they live that that uh, that rivalry, three hundred sixty five days a year. That they just, they've been kind of their own worst enemy uh, a lot of times. So we will see. Uh, so I, I like the uh, I, I love the hire um, again. Uh, hey, man, you know, just keep him away from a sound bite, uh, Bruce. I know you had to endure that uh, in uh, Nashville. Uh, it, what was your favorite quote from Hugh Freeze in Nashville, Bruce? Well, uh, well, I'll tell you, my, my favorite, he, he's so sanctimonious. I mean, it, it ran in. It sounded like that old Miss the last time he was there, about a month before he got uh, the pink slip 
six, seven years ago. But it, there's two quotes that I from, from SEC Media Days, neither of them for freeze. One, someone asked Nick Saban in the electronic media room, which is a little bit smaller, what sort of music do you like to listen to before the game? Can you imagine somebody asking him that question? Saban said his answer was, I don't listen to music. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Best one was <laughs> Sam Pittman, um, uh, a, a reporter, Clark Brooks, uh, said, Clark Brooks from the station in Arkansas, question and you have to say your name and affiliation and then uh Pittman goes did you say Garth Brooks and he said no Clark Brooks he said oh I thought you said Garth he said I was going to come down and get your autograph so those are the two quotes that stuff me freeze just sounded like he did a few years ago at Ole Miss all the same stuff painful painful stuff Bruce one more out of uh Nashville Vandy the team that does Boy, the old Sesame Street, this one does not belong. But uh, they still are there and equal distribution of revenue off in the uh, in the SEC. And why not? But they doubled the win total last year in Clark Lee's second year. There was two and a half. They won five, including late in the season, wins against Kentucky and Florida. So how about that? So here they are. They've uh, bumped it up this year to three and a half. Not so fast for you, Vandy uh, Commodores this year, huh, Bruce? Yeah, I'm not quite buying uh, yet. And by the way, they are doing some things at Vandy. They're refurbishing the stadium. I, I think they should knock it down, sell that property, and play where the Titans play. That's my, my gut feel. But they have raised a lot of money there, and I've seen the plans, and it looks pretty interesting uh, what they're going to try to do there uh, in, in Nashville. So they're trying to make some things happen. Um, and that was an advance last year for, for Vandy for sure. However, I mentioned Mike Wright a moment ago. Uh, now at Mississippi State, uh, he was the reason uh, they won uh, four of those games last year, four of their five wins. The other win they had with A.J. Swan, a quarterback, was at uh, Northern Illinois, uh, and uh, that was after Northern Illinois bolted to a nice early lead and their quarterback Lombardi got hurt, and then things the wheels came off for the Huskies. Wright was such a dynamic playmaker. I mean, Hawaii couldn't stop him in the opener. They may not have beaten Elon without Wright. They definitely would not have beaten Kentucky or Florida without Wright making plays. And it was mostly improvising, broken plays, things like that. He was such a threat. I know they like Swan, pro-style quarterback, but um, no. I mean, we've seen these sorts of guys at Vanderbilt. There's only, you know, he's not Jay Cutler, I don't think. And... uh, I think they're going to miss Mike Wright a lot more, and I thought they should have done a lot to keep him there, get the nil up to speed at Vandy and make sure this guy stayed, but they let him go to Mississippi State. Clark Lee, yes, he's. I know the credentials seem to be there. He's a Vanderbilt guy. He went there. He knows the culture there and all that. He's a, none of these coordinators. He had been at Notre Dame, done a pretty good, did a good job there coordinating the defense. The defenses have not been that great at Vandy thus far. Not that that's a, a sin, nor is it a sin to lose games last year to Alabama, Georgia and Tennessee, but to get beat by a combined 166 to three in those games suggest, and I watched those games, he wasn't doing anything different. He wasn't doing what Drinkwitz did to nullify some of Georgia's things that they do on defense. He wasn't doing what Shane Beamer did. He had Tennessee all confused that game at williams Bryce. He just went into it, walked straight in the buzzsaw and his team got destroyed. I don't know that he's much of a game coach, not yet at least, and I'm not sure they're going to not miss Mike Wright an awful lot. One other thing about this win total. There's a lot of people I've talked to who thinks it's going to be an over. They expect Vandy to be 4-0 coming into league play, and they would have that over cleared by that point. I am not so sure. 
Hawaii, yeah, they'll probably beat Hawaii. They beat them by 63-10 last year, but Hawaii is, became a better team last year. That may not be as easy as they thought. Elon was a tough game, or the second game uh, like Elon last year, a lower FCS that he can probably win. At Wake Forest and at UNLV, I think they lose both those games. They lost by 24 to UNLV when Derek Mason versus UNLV when Mason was the coach a few years ago. And Wake Forest blew him out last year. And Dave Clawson can outcoach Clark any day of the week, even without Sam Hartman. So I think they're more likely to come in league play two and two and then have to get two wins. I'm not sure they get one on the SEC. I'm looking under the jury for me. All is right. Still way out on Clark Lee. All right. And in my uh, one pick in last year, I had uh, Kentucky under, and that uh, that uh, hit uh, pretty easily. Uh, last year, I mean, then I'm looking at a lower total this year for the Kentucky Wildcats. Keep in mind, their offensive line is going to be uh, much, much better. Now, the juice is out of control. It's minus 177 over 6.5, but they're going 4-0 to start uh, start the season. Then they host Florida at home. They should be better uh, than Florida this year. And Stoops, how about Stoops, man? I mean, what, uh, seven straight bowl seasons after six straight losing seasons uh, in Commonwealth? That's such a tough place to win. You bring in Devin Leary, who is – he's not going to be drafted as high, but he's going to play better uh, than De- um, than Will Levis did last year. Leary, 35 TDs and five interceptions two seasons ago uh, at uh, NC State in, uh, before he got uh, hurt. So, uh, then, you know, 4-0, uh, a real chance to be 5-0. And in five more games that you could win, Missouri at home, Tennessee at home, at Mississippi State, at South Carolina, at Louisville. So I'm going over Kentucky. They went over this number last year. It was disappointing. They bring Their offensive line struggled. They're back. Hopefully it can improve. And they've added some transfers at that unit as well. I like Stoops and his team to bounce back over six and a half. Charlie, what did we miss, buddy? I, I just wanted to point out that Mark Stoops is in his 11th season at Kentucky. You, you, you coached 11 seasons. I think he's got now more time and more wins than Bear Bryant had there. <laughs> that's a that's a, a pretty uh, that's a pretty significant uh, pretty significant accomplishment. Um, no, I think we've we've covered uh, just about every team in the league. I would be you know a quick comment on South Carolina. And I'm kind of on the fence. It weren't one of my picks, but whether they can continue that late season resurgence of a year ago and can Spencer Rattler, you know, be the quarterback that he was in those two games against Tennessee and Clemson. And, you know, this guy, one point in his career was the front runner for the Heisman, maybe not deservedly so, but he was. So he's certainly a talent. Can Shane Beamer, uh, you know, continue to build on that in year three? Charles, uh, Bruce, I'm not so sure about that because, you know, they were they were four and four in the league last year, but they were outgained by 80 yards per game in those eight games in league play. Um, a little smoke and mirrors, maybe a little bit. Things fell their way, but he has some 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 momentum going. It's a tough job, uh, no oh, no yeah. doubt. But six and a half, I'm just I'm, I mean, North Carolina, Clemson, non conference. Um, A&M and State from the West, that kind of offsets that a little bit. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. The, the, the number where they're being outgained consistently in a league concerned me a little bit. I think that opener with North Carolina is a very interesting game. And I think that's one that Shane Beamer's got to win if he's going to get over. And that would give us an indication, okay, if they can't handle North Carolina, they're going to have some trouble in the SEC. And Rattler was really disappointing last year until right at the end of the season. And a lot of people thought, well, geez, 
This is another example of Lincoln Riley's coaching, coaches these quarterbacks up, and he really struggled. Though he did seem to find something at the end of last season. One of the note on Auburn, I do agree with Charlie, but a lot of people talking in Nashville last week, the only school in the SEC that would have hired Hugh Freeze, Auburn. Greg Sankey had come out before and said he doesn't, you know, Hugh Freeze ain't going to coach anymore in the SEC. Well, Auburn didn't ask Sankey. They went out and just hired him. That's Auburn for you. So if they get out of his way, I think Charlie's going to be right and they'll go over. And maybe Shane Beamer got back, back, back where the, the, the Mayo land, baby. He won in Charlotte and got the Mayo toss on him. Yeah. He beat North Carolina in Charlotte to get the Mayo. Yeah. So going back to his Mayo roots uh, over there. So always fun uh, in the SEC. For Charles Hanegriff and 104.5 ESPN and Baton Rouge, Bruce Marshall, CBS Sports Line, and VegasInsider.com. I'm Jimmy Ott uh, uh, wrapping up our SEC preview on the Sports Betters Paradise YouTube channel on the Bet Rivers Network.